All right. Well, we took a week off and here we are getting another episode started. Brian, how are you? Doing a lot better than I was last week. Um, yeah. I had a uh, pretty bad allergies going on last week. Could hardly talk and nobody wants to listen to me sit here and sniffle and cough every five seconds during a podcast. So here we are a week later and good to go now. Well, good. I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah. I, when I posted that tweet out last week about us recording that episode, I totally forgot that I should have checked in with you beforehand, but, and then when you told me the reason that you didn't want to record, I didn't want to like throw that information out on the internet oh, yeah, because no. since I work in healthcare, I'm so used to like, Oh, nope, that's HIPAA. Don't reveal any of that stuff. Oh, yeah. No, it's all good. If I'm uh I don't get sick very often. So when I am, I guess it's a, a big story. At least that's what my wife tells me. So, yeah. And apparently I'm a big baby about it. She calls it the man flu every time. So <laughs> it is what it is. Well, I checked the obituary every day last week and I'm, I'm glad I didn't see your name. So yeah, I was, I was it not out. in it. Yep. Good. <laughs> what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I'm just drinking water. I'm going through. So the season is super taxing on my liver. So in this off season, aside from Husker football games, I'm trying to cut back pretty heavily. So we're just going to go with water for tonight. Maybe, maybe when it comes down to it, I might drink a beer, but yeah, we just got to see how it goes. Try to do a taxing, little reset. Taxing on the liver. Ain't that the truth? It is. So I am sticking with the cosmic eye that I did not finish last time around. I got to tell you, man, when I got off work, I wanted to pick up a bottle of whiskey so bad. Oh man, I want oh, yeah. to, oh, I'm craving some whiskey. I'm going to have to pick some up here soon. Cause man, I want some whiskey. Yeah. That's, it yeah. does sound pretty good. Yeah. Well, speaking of me getting off work and heading home, I didn't have a whole lot of time to work with because I wanted to get back so we could, you know, record at a decent hour and I did need to stop at the gas station. So I went in there to prepay. And while I was in there, I decided to buy a, a soda to, you know, kickstart some caffeine on the way home for that sure. short trek west. Yep. And as I'm standing in line, there's two registers in front of me and there's a woman at the register to my right. And she's purchasing just a, I think it was like a six pack of toilet paper, nothing mm -hmm. complex, nothing sure. else, just toilet paper. And there's people in front of me that are going to the register to the left. Meanwhile, she's still rummaging through her purse, trying to find something. She's having a lot of difficulty because it's taking way too long. Well, I finally get up to the register to the left and she finally picks her head up and looks at the person behind the register and says, I, I can't find my change. I don't, I don't have enough to pay for this. So I using my debit card, I just walked over to her screen, you know, punched the, the card up against the screen so that it, you know, took care of the transaction, yep. punched in the pin number, took care of it. And I go back to my register and as I'm standing there, she takes the toilet paper off the counter, turns to me and says, thank you so much. I'm going to think about you every single time I wipe myself. Whoa. That's it. Whoa. Uh, and, what? And then she walks out. That's it. That's <clears throat> all she said. Dude. So there, and there were probably, I think four or five guys in the main, you know, area right there. And we all just sort of froze and watched her leave through the door and i even turned to the guy behind me and made eye contact with him like with this like 50 yard gaze in my or the stare in my eyes and like did you just and he's like yeah i i heard it too man that okay all right 
Jeez. So then that was running through my head the entire way home. Like, well, as it would, huh. I mean, and in the moment I was thinking the audacity of this woman, like, Hey, what the fuck? Oh, wait, <laughs> that's a compliment. Is it? Is that a compliment? I mean, if I did her a favor, I mean, she's going to think about me. It's not all that often that you and somebody else's ass is in the same sentence and it's considered a compliment. Sure. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. So it was, it was a bit weird. So then the entire way home, I was thinking, you know, this could be an episode of how I met your mother. It, it could be. Was, was yeah. she like a same age as you kind of lady or was it? Yeah. Same, same okay. age range. Yeah. Sure. And I was thinking, you know, if that's how I met the love of my life and we ended up having kids and I would have to tell her, look, honey, look, we, we got to change the the story that we tell whenever people ask how we met each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care if you say Tinder, Hinge, Plenty of Fish, what are all those sure. dating apps? Use one of those. Yep. Any story, just don't tell them that you're going to think of me when you go to wipe yourself. Yeah, you definitely just leave that part out. Like say maybe yeah. you met in a convenience store and you paid for something. Don't there you don't you have to mention what it is. Yeah. Know? Or that you're thinking of that person every time you use the toilet paper. Yeah. That's that's a little strange. That was yeah. And then I was thinking about those times when you know you're in middle or high school and you're talking to somebody who you're attracted to and they think that they're hitting on you, but you have no idea. Like yeah. you're, you're not receiving the message that they're sending. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, you think, you think back, Oh shit. I was missing out on every single one of those signals they were sending. Yeah. yeah. No, that was not That's tonight. The... She was smacking me across the face with that stuff. If that yeah. was her hitting on me. If, if it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a new era. So, I mean, it, it could, is. it could have been. Yeah. Maybe you'll see her again. Yeah, we're in a brave new world, people. They're going <laughs> to use any line they can on you. I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. All right, I'm going to crack into this cosmic guy. Get her All going. Right. Very nice. Very nice. Oh, man. League One finals. Or yeah. final. Final. Man, a week and a half ago now? Yeah, what a match. I keep yeah. punching my mic. I got to move it up. There we go. <laughs> yeah. What a, uh, what a match. I was, had no shortage of fun watching that. I had family over. What did we do that night? I think we'd grilled out burgers that night. And so they were all kind of getting up and, and ready to head out just as the game was ending up and, uh, stayed and watched the first like 10 minutes of it, which was actually pretty exciting. So, I don't know. Maybe I turned my father-in-law into a little bit of a soccer fan. I already got my dad, so now cool. I got to get the father-in-law. So. Nice. But it was good. Uh, I really enjoyed the match. And the atmosphere was great, too. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a ton of uh, Chattanooga fans out there, and they were making some noise. They you really them. were. You yeah. heard them over that broadcast, <laughs> clearly. Yep. That was fun to hear. And great. I also thought it was cool behind the goal I think it was your, as they were broadcasting it, it was to the left. They had the Georgia Southern drum line back behind that goal yeah. mm -hmm. and they were playing some beats and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm a band nerd, so of course I'm going to think that's cool. 
Well, yeah, but that, I mean, that stuff comes into the atmosphere part of it, you know? So if you take out the drums and the chanting, then, you know, you might as well just go watch under eights play or something. Yeah. Although I don't know about that. When my son was playing it, there were some parents that got pretty, uh, pretty chirpy. So yeah, maybe not, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. It's surprising how, how chippy it can get on the, the weekends with the parents getting involved. Oh yeah. It's, uh, they take it a little far, but we're not here to talk about, you know, my kids under 18. We're here to talk about professional, professional players in a professional final. There you go. Yeah. Well, Tormenta hosted Chattanooga Red Wolves. And when the final whistle blew, they, they ended up winning two to one Mm -hmm. new champion, new star over a new crest. Yeah. Here we go. A great way to break in a new stadium. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You're, you're not kidding. That's, that's a great way to start a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And it looked good. It looked really good on TV. So yeah. Hats off to them and that, you know, their grounds crew and everything made the, made the stadium ready for that final. Yep. And the fans brought it. I know there was, there was some chatter on Twitter about the, the construction homes behind the one goal where the the teams were using as their locker room. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm excited to get Darren back on the show. Hopefully, we can get Nitra on at the same time. Yeah. So we can chat with him about what the final plans are for that end of the the stadium and what features they want to have included and all that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. if that side is completely undeveloped, aside from those construction homes, I mean, there's endless pos- possibilities for what you could do yeah. over there. So mm-hmm. they they could probably have some pretty cool ideas to install over there. Yeah, it it should be really cool. And, you know, just from our conversations with them before, they want to make it, you know, a big social hub. So I'm assuming yeah. there's going to be some some apartment complexes maybe going up behind there and, you know, with businesses underneath and stuff like that. So that'd be cool. It, it should be pretty cool, man. It's it's yeah. a good location for sure. Yeah. Plenty of possibilities. Well, there was enough hype around the, the game to draw in 3,045 people for the attendance. Yeah, uh, a solid like 2,000 more than than the average for, for Tormenta. That's great. And I mean, it's if you look back at past finals, that's that's right around the 2019 attendance yep. at North Texas, which was 3,245, so 200 less fans than that one. Yeah. 2020, it's no pun intended, an asterisk year because yeah. of COVID. And in 2021 you know, Omaha with 52, 21. So still over 3000 fans for a final in South Georgia, when they're usually only pulling a thousand is great to see. Yeah. On a Sunday night, no less. Again, league one, come on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it pained me to watch the, the USLC game on Sunday too, because I knew I had to get up for work in the morning, you know? So it's just, yep. Let's not, let's put them on Saturday where they belong. I agree. Well, once we got the the game kicked off, man, there were plenty of things to, there's plenty of stuff to talk about in in this one, Mm -hmm. but just before halftime in the 35th minute, because Sterling earned a penalty and you know, it's, it's a major top boy. Was Mm -hmm. it a penalty? Uh, I mean, there were fireworks going on in, in this match, even before it kicked off and, both teams came out super aggressive. So, and I mean, you saw that even from the opening minute when Tormenta gets a, a shot on goal within the first minute 
and yeah it um toby otieno yeah special shout out to him yeah but you knew both teams were going to play super hard and it seemed like the referee was going to let a lot of stuff go and i was really surprised to see that penalty called yeah. to me it, it didn't look like anything that it didn't look like enough contact to warrant a penalty nor to warrant how much selling went on i think the referee got fooled into that yeah and it was he also gave a yellow card for it too so yep i didn't see either of those i saw i saw a guy go up in the air just like everyone does to try to head a ball in and a little bit of contact but nothing to to draw a penalty at all yeah when he was saying you could hear you could read the ref's lips as he was approaching the players and he was pointing at him saying you pushed him in the back you pushed him in the back mm-hmm. and the the two players that he was pointing at i couldn't see that he was pushing him in the back whereas the two players in front yes there was a mm-hmm. defender clearly pushing that guy yeah. with his arm fully extended right but he didn't call that when he called the other one mm-hmm. yeah and i mean if you would have if he would have called it on the the one you're talking about in front of the the play i could see a little bit more of that maybe being a penalty because it it was a full shove you know his arm yeah. fully extended to shove out but like you said that's not the one that was called so you have to go off the one that was called and to me that that should not have been a penalty yeah it's weird it's weird that they would call that one but in the semifinals when terzaghi was taken out in the box they didn't call that mm-hmm. one when yeah, I, it's, it's just weird. I don't know. Consistency. Yeah. I don't care if you're going to call it, but if you're going to call it in that match, you have to call it in every match. And unfortunately, being kind of a place where refs are going to be developed and stuff like that in League One, you're not going to get that consistency. So you yeah. do have to learn how to play through it and you have to learn what referees call what and what you can and can't get away with. But I mean, it was a beautiful sell job. I'll give him that because yeah, sure was. It drew, it drew the penalty and Sterling. I mean, Sterling getting a shot from the spot. Yeah, it's gonna go in. Money. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, he's he certainly put it right in there. So going into halftime, you would think that Tormenta is feeling comfortable and all that kind of stuff. Once again, mm-hmm. stoppage time goals, just like we discussed last time. Mm-hmm. So Chattanooga got that goal in the third minute of extra time leading up to halftime. And this one is coming off a foul, which I don't remember. Was there a card issued on this challenge preceding the, the set piece? I don't remember seeing one. I could be wrong, but I don't remember seeing, seeing something off of it because, but what I do remember is that it was studs up Mm -hmm. and we, you and I have watched, and I'm sure plenty of our listeners have watched enough soccer matches to see in other matches when a player is going in with studs up like that, that has been called a red card in the past. Yeah. So there, there's a fair amount of grievance, you know, mm-hmm. that there wasn't a red card issued. But yep. Yeah, that's fair. Again, I don't know. You can't really bang on the refs all that yeah. often because it just... We know how they play, you know, we know how they call it and it's not always going to get called. So, yep. But Chattanooga did get the the revenge factor on that one because not only did it set up a set piece, but the guy who was fouled to set up the set piece was the guy who connected on the end of the set piece and was able to head it in. Yeah, it was Alex Tejero, um, yep. assisted by 
Carrera Garcia, just a beautiful ball in. And Alex got up, man, and it should have been marked a lot better than he was. Yeah. It looks like he kind of just out jumped, out jumped the defender and and put it into the near post. And keeper got caught flat footed on that one. So Yeah. And Tormenta hasn't been great with aerial duels no. throughout the season. And so this is just further evidence of mm-hmm. something that they need to work on for next season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to get up. You got to get at least a little bit in his way. So, yeah. But credit to him. Great, great job to yeah. get up there. So, yeah, I kept getting confused because Teixeira got the red card last match and then Tahera was playing on the field during the final. So I was, I was all sorts. Oh wait. Oh, that's Tahera, not to share. Oh, geez. Yep. Oh gosh. I was the same way. As soon as I heard the name, I was like, um, didn't he get a red card last week? Yeah. <laughs> so going into halftime, what were your, your thoughts? Did you think that Tormenta was going to be able to pull it off? Cause I know that you picked Chattanooga for the win. Who did, who did you think looked better at halftime? I, th- I thought Tormenta looked better at halftime. Just from the outset, they they looked like the the hungrier team with a little bit more more in the tank. But Chattanooga, you know, coming late into the first half was really really uh, bothering them and getting up the field. Yeah. So I think at that point, I I would have said Tormenta had the better chance to win, but I still thought that Chattanooga was going to pull off some late game heroics and, and yeah. steal a goal. So yeah, I would have thought Tormenta, but I did not see Chattanooga not scoring at least one more. Yeah. And, you know, in the preview for the final, we talked about the fact that Tormenta is a first half team and Chattanooga is a second half team. Mm-hmm. And it showed in the first half. Cause I'm, I'm with you there. I thought Tormenta was the better team in the first half. Yeah. I thought they looked stronger. I thought, thought they looked hungrier they were faster, more eager to, to jump on those balls. But with that late goal from Chattanooga, it kind of added some spice to, to the mix because you start thinking, well, I don't know, maybe this could go Chattanooga's way in the second half after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, from, from just what we talked about too, it just, you knew that the lower scoring the game, the better it was going to look for, I believe it was Tormenta. Tormenta. Yeah. So going in one, one and a half and, you know, Chattanooga is a second half team that that was probably a little bit scary for Tormenta fans or anybody that had listened to the pod before. and kind of knew that going into it, but it, it definitely was a, a very weird first half. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, coming out into the second half, you know, it didn't take long for there to be some adjustments, obviously, because I think there were some substitutions very early on uh, mm-hmm. in the second half. Yeah. And that started to to have an effect on on things as well. But we had to wait until the 82nd minute for Tormenta to find the, the game winner, the match winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The and cup I mean, winner. Even just going just going through and watching the second half again, it it definitely looked like Chattanooga was on the front foot for a lot of it. Yeah. They did look like that second half team that we had discussed before that played so much better in the second half. They got a lot more shots. They possessed the ball a little bit more and were able to find lanes to get guys through. And they put a lot of shots in. Yeah. Just none of them found the back of the net. And then you turn and look at Tormenta and they, they scored based off of their front three. 
doing exactly what we had had talked about the on the last pod about them just being so good with the ball and playing so well off of each other as soon as one of their front guys get the ball the other two are already full sprint up the pitch so yeah you, and you saw that coming with a a huge solo effort from Keziah Sterling to get the ball you know close to the box and then send that pass to Jamil Roberts and just a beautiful one one touch goal just put his left foot right through the center of the ball and rocketed it to the back of the net. Yeah. When Kaziah Sterling received that pass, the turn that he was able to execute Mm -hmm. not only left the defender in the dust, but it also opened up the entire rest of the field, which was, which enabled him to find Jamil Roberts Mm -hmm. as he was advancing up the field. I just, I thought Kaziah Sterling was just, Oh my gosh, just pure perfection in that moment. Yeah. That spin was just the difference maker. Mm-hmm. The spin and splitting the defenders like he did. And yeah. Being able to possess the ball and dribble it to the middle of the middle of the pitch right in front of goal and be able to take that defender that should have been going to the outside but had to cover for the defender that got beat so bad. Really just a perfect setup. I mean, that's you can't draw up a better team goal than that and jamil roberts when he took that that cup winning shot he went near post didn't he Mm -hmm. yeah he went fancy yeah fancy left foot near post yeah if you're going pragmatic you're gonna go far post but if you're going near post you're going fancy yeah yeah i think he knew what he was capable of and saw the shot and i remember seeing on the replay it looked like sterling wanted the ball back and as soon as he lined up the shot, you saw Sterling with his arms up like, oh, I wanted another pass. But when it goes in the back of the net, you just let it go. So I did some research on Jamil Roberts, and this mm-hmm. guy is a bit of a legend that I'm not sure too many people have heard of. So in the 2020 NCAA Men's College Cup, which was played in 2021 because of COVID, sure, while playing with Marshall University, who was unranked at the time, his school advanced to the quarterfinals. And while playing against the number eight ranked Georgetown, Robert scored the match winner in the 69th minute. Nice. nice. Then when the school advanced to the semifinals, they played North Carolina. And Roberts, again, scored the match winner in the 60th minute. In the finals against number three ranked Indiana, Roberts scored the match winner in the 98th minute. Wow. Helping Marshall to their first men's soccer title. So dude's a winner. Yeah. This guy knows how to score game winners. Yeah. Doing it at the college level. And then now the professional level. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool looking that up. Oh yeah, definitely. Not something I would have, I would have thought or would have known. I don't watch too much college soccer. So yeah. I try to, but it's it's tough to to find it. Yeah, that that is very true. I know that they're doing they're in the the college cup right now with all mm-hmm. the, the tournament games and everything. But last I saw, Creighton won and they advanced. And yeah, who was that? University of Nebraska Omaha women lost to Notre Dame, and then Alabama women are advancing into the tournament too. They're doing really well. They're having a great season. So yeah, I mean they're in full swing right now in the middle of that tournament. Yeah. So yeah, but to bring it back to the League One final with the 
the goal scored by Chattanooga in stoppage time of the first half, they became the first road team to score in a League One final. Hmm. Because in 2019, Greenville was shut out by North Texas. And in 2021, Greenville was shut out by Omaha. So right. Chattanooga, first road team to score. Yeah. And with no game being played in 2020, granted, small sample size, but yeah, still interesting nonetheless. Yep. And while we're talking about the uniqueness of this final, this final had the most cards handed out in in a League One final. So there were eight yellows handed out, three of them to Tormenta, and five of them to Chattanooga. Sounds about right for a Chattanooga match. Yep. In 2019, there were only two yellows, and in 2021, there were six yellows which resulted in a soft red card from two, you know, yellow card. I think that was to uh, uh, Conway. Conway. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Conway was the recipient of a very soft second call. Yeah. So I wonder when they, when they were done celebrating, you know, lifting the cup and taking all the pictures and, you know, wearing the medal and everything, when they got back to the locker room, if Ian Cameron, Tormentus coach, laid into him real hard for earning those three yellow cards. I mean, that's yep. disgraceful. You can't, <laughs> I mean, for as, as clean as they play, you just, you can't earn three yellows like that. Yeah. It's, it's unacceptable. I'm kidding. Tormenta. You guys did fine. Yeah. <laughs> you won the damn cup. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure the champagne shower back in the uh, locker room was taking precedence over complaining yeah. about how many yellows. <laughs> So if you look at some of the the random stats, you know, like possession, total shots, all that kind of stuff, there were some surprising trends. Tormenta seemed to win pretty much every single one of those categories. Possession was split 50-50, mm-hmm. but Tormenta did win total shots, whereas I would have thought Chattanooga would have won that one. Even yeah. I mean, it was by one shot, but still, I would have thought Chattanooga would have won that one. Yeah, I agree with you, yeah. Shots on target, again, I would have thought that wouldn't, would lean more toward Red Wolves. See, I'm I'm a little bit in the opposite there because yeah. Chattanooga takes so many outside shots that um, oh, that's true. They do. They don't put a ton on target. <laughs> they do true. take a lot, but not a lot of them get on target. So yeah. And then for block shots, I'm not surprised by Tormenta having three to Chattanooga's one. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. At the same time, I am kind of surprised because with the the center back duo of Dangler and Phelps with Tormenta. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that they would have had more block shots. Those guys are are really good. You know, they're a yeah. good pair on the mm-hmm. back line. I don't know. I, I guess I, I could have been surprised if this statistic had gone either way. Right. Yeah, I, I could have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Shots inside the box. I'm certainly not surprised that Tormenta had seven to Chattanooga's three. No, not surprised at all. And once again, not surprised at all to hear that Chattanooga had more shots outside the box. They had six to Tormenta's three. So, yeah, yeah. not surprised there. Not Nothing shocking there, really. Yeah. Tormenta did have more passes, which I personally am very surprised because Chattanooga is one of those teams that seems to, you know, when they get the ball, they're going to dominate possession and they're just going to pass you to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Tormenta did have more passes in their own half, which I think is more because their back line, whenever they wanted to 
be pragmatic. They would just pass the ball back to the back line and they would kind of swing it back and forth, drop mm-hmm. it back to the goalkeeper. They weren't really too effective playing out of the back because they, they couldn't link up the back line with the midfielders. Right. So it just seemed like there was, there was a bit of time wasting uh, mm-hmm. and missed opportunities there, but sure. Whatever they want, doesn't matter. Yeah, it works. <laughs> and Chattanooga didn't waste their, their possessions. Cause they had more accurate passes, which not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, they had more passes in the opponent's half, not surprising. And they had more successful dribbles, which I am surprised on that front because Tormenta likes to go at you. Yeah, they do. So to see that Chattanooga had six and Tormenta had five, even though there's a separation of only one, I'm I'm still a little more surprised on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I could be talked into it really either way, but yeah. But if we're going to go into notable performances, you know, if we're talking Tormenta, you got to go with Kaziah Sterling. Yeah. I mean, a yep. goal and an assist, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, the MVP, you know, that's that's yeah. going to do it. I Pretty agree. easy, easy uh, decision there. Yeah, he looked really good. Statistically, it wasn't like a perfect great night or whatever, but when, you, when you're involved in both the goals, I mean... And then you put on a clinic to assist the second goal. You're going to get notable performance all day. Yeah. And for some reason, when I would watch Tormenta matches earlier in the season, I didn't think that Kaziah Sterling looked all that big. But for some reason, during the broadcast of the final, I, I kept thinking to myself, man, Sterling looks big. Like he's a meaty dude. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to mess with him. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> And then as far as Chattanooga, you know, there I I personally feel like there's several choices you could go with, and one of them is a pair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first off, if you want to be, you know, bland and generic, you can go with the goal scorer. You can uh, opt for Alex Tejera. You know, he scored the the goal. You know, he kept him in the game, all that kind of stuff. He took foul. advantage. Drew the foul. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also feel like you could go for the back line if you decided to opt for the pairing of the the center backs with Timmy Mel and Daniel Navarro yeah you know they dominated in the air now we've already talked about the fact that Tormenta is not that great in the air so i think that Timmy Mel had the better night statistically but mm-hmm. the two of them worked together so well that trying to separate them into this notable performance category I, I I didn't feel that it did them justice. I, I think if you're going to include these guys in the notable performance, they have to be featured together. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And Chattanooga flushed all of Tormenta's successful dribbles to the flanks. So Navarro and Mel didn't even have to worry about any of those successful dribbles coming at them because you know, the, the mid, the central midfielders and the early pressure was just mm-hmm. funneling them all outside. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's kind of what you have to do when you play Tormenta, especially with somebody like Kaziah Sterling in the middle, you, you really have to force the ball out wide and keep the ball away from their, their best player. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's about as easy as it gets when it comes to defending a team like that, <laughs> limit the strikers opportunities and yeah. hope he doesn't, Hope he doesn't kill you. Yep, I agree. Because I certainly he's a dangerous guy. You just gotta, you know, mm-hmm. corner him and make him uncomfortable. Yeah. See what you can do with him out there. And I mean, they did a good job for most of the match. Um, yeah. 
obviously one you're you're probably going to get one off of him anyway he's probably going to score against most teams yeah but for him like we said earlier you know statistically speaking not the best night for him but when he did come through he came through big and was involved in both goals so yep sure was so the third option for chattanooga i think you could go with jimmy via lobos mm-hmm. he's one of their midfielders he had 90 minutes 88 percent passing 89 percent passing in the opponent's half yeah he had a, he was Huge. seven for ten on total duels six for nine on the ground and he won his only aerial duel and he did have a shot on target, which was the only other shot on target aside from the goal. Mm-hmm. And then he had six tackles. He had eight passes into the final third. He was only dispossessed one time, 11 recoveries, dribbled past only one time. This guy had a very good night. Yeah. Very good night against a, a very, very good team. Yeah. So I decided to dive into some academia here because I wanted to really find the importance behind the statistic of the recoveries. Mm -hmm. Cause I know that we've mentioned it, you know, as long as we've been doing this podcast. So I want to make sure that our listeners have a good idea of how important this statistic truly is Mm -hmm. because I found a study that was done in England where they studied English and Spanish soccer for a given period of time. And they were able to figure out, how truly important a recovery is when it comes to the end result of a match opportunities on goal, offensive opportunities in general possession, all this kind of stuff. And just to give a a general definition of the recovery stat, it's when the ball is recorded at the point where the player of the team beginning the possession touches the ball. So you could be recovering the ball in a situation when neither team has possession. So just a 50, 50 loose ball, Mm -hmm. or you could recover the ball that has already been played directly to him. So, you know, an errant pass that's, that would be considered a recovery in this case, because at that point you secure possession, you're able to turn it off into an offensive opportunity. So at the time the ball is collected, that completes the defensive stage and you automatically jump into your offensive opportunity. Now in this research paper, it said that it was reported that teams were about seven times more likely to create a scoring opportunity from a ball recovery initiated in the offensive zone than the defensive zone, which makes perfect sense. If you're gaining the ball in the offensive zone, yeah, you're going to have more opportunities Mm -hmm. when you're moving forward. So let's look at Jimmy Villalobos recoveries during the final. He had 11 recoveries. In the first half, he had six. In the second, he had five. So sp- split fairly even. Mm-hmm. In the first half, five of his six recoveries were in the neutral third. So the middle third of the field. Yep. The the lone recovery outside of those five was in his team's defensive third. In the second half, three of his recoveries were in the neutral third and two were in the defensive third. So when you have a central defend defensive midfielder with eight recoveries in the neutral third you might as well consider that an offensive the the offensive zone because in theory most of his teammates were already in front of him because he's center defensive midfielder Mm -hmm. so when he collects the ball and he's going forward he's got he's got options ahead of him yeah and when you have a player like jimmy villalobos you know that 
if he's collecting 11 recoveries in the final, that's because he has good situational awareness mm-hmm. and he has good forethought to not only collect the ball, but to do something productive with it when he turns it upfield. Yeah. And I mean, that's something you've seen from him all season. That's that's one reason why he gets he gets picked so often for standout player. I know we've talked about him a ton every time we've talked about this team. So, I mean, it makes sense. And he showed up big, especially in, in the final. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know I went into a little bit of a deep dive there on a random statistic, but hopefully everybody out there who's listening to the podcast learned something. And hopefully that impressed you as much as it impressed me after reading that research paper. No, it definitely did. So in the end, Tormenta remained victorious over Chattanooga. Congratulations, Tormenta. You won Mm -hmm. your first cup. Actually, you can't even say your first cup because the women won the first cup. Yep. They won the double. Yeah. So congratulations to Tormenta for the clean sweep, men's and women's. Mm -hmm. That's pretty incredible. That is. And that's huge for the league, too. Yeah. And for them to have pictures in the in the weekend prior after the match and everything with both trophies and you know just the just the pride that they showed with both their men's and their women's team winning the cup is awesome to see. Yeah. Cause so. even when the women were heading into their final, you saw a lot of social media posts from the the men mm-hmm. within the the organization who were trying to encourage them, trying to pep them up and all that kind of stuff. So it, the amount of encouragement that's happening under that umbrella is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I mean, we knew, we knew that talking with, with Darren anyway, that yeah. that organization is huge on all of their teams. No one team gets more pub, no more press, or there's no favoritism. All of those teams are, are their, you know, are their babies. So they, they treat them as such and, and they're doing it the right way. Yep. And I think in an interview after the final, Darren was quoted as saying, we're in the memory making business. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. You are. Yeah, they are. They, they gave it to him. Yeah. Cause those women, these men, yeah, they have memories they're going to take with them for the rest of their life. And yeah, it's because of you. So yep. congrats, Darren and yep. Nitra. Yeah. Just congrats to everybody in the, the whole Tormenta organization. That's, that's awesome. And we'll see how it goes next year. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You can brag all off season, but once we start next season, battle begins all over. You got to defend that title now. Yeah, and it's it's not nearly as easy. No, huh? You got that target on your back. Yeah. <laughs> and one more thing before we move on, I thought it was an extremely classy gesture by players for wearing the jersey number of the fallen teammate that you know passed away earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Man, just a class act by that organization to. Yeah. To, to make him a part of the ceremony, even though, you know, he passed away earlier in the season. Just mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. Very well done. Very classy. Yeah. Well, let's move into some of the news items there. You know, we, we haven't talked about any of the awards this season. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a huge breakdown here of all the awards. You know, first off, we start off with statistical awards. Yeah. And once again, your golden boot winner is Emiliano Terzaghi. Mm-hmm. What, three years in a row? Yeah, three yeah, years in a three row. Three years now. in a row, yep. 17 goals in 29 matches. Yeah. I mean, it. Terzaghi does Terzaghi things. Yeah. 
he was only one goal short of the league record, which he set last year with 18 <laughs> goals. Yeah. So, man, the guy was scoring machine again this season. Yeah, and I think we all kind of thought that that was going to happen. Maybe a couple people would have been in the running as well, but, I mean, he he separates himself pretty easily out in the field. So Yeah, and then your Golden Glove winner was Rashid Nuhu out of Union Omaha. Yeah. Nine shutouts, had a goal against average of 0 0.98. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. he was the only goalkeeper who had a – a less than single digit goal against average. So yeah, he congrats was Congrats to him on that one. Yeah, he was, it was looking really good. You know, Omaha faltered late and that kind of hurt some of his, some of his chances, but yeah, um, yeah it was, that's another well-deserved award. Yeah. That was his second golden glove in a row. The previous winner was Dallas J and I mean, he won two years in a row. So mm -hmm. yeah, it makes sense. Yep. And then yeah. we have our assist champion with uh, was Jonathan Bolaños mm -hmm. out of Richmond. He had 11 assists in 19 starts. In 19 starts, that's 19. That's the big, the big thing. Yeah. God, imagine if he would have played every match, how many he would have had. Yeah, that guy had a great season. Yeah. And I think yeah, he set the assist league assist record this season with with those 11 assists. It's also solid, very solid. Yeah. The previous record was Arturo Rodriguez out of North Texas in 2019 with 10 assists. So Bolaños beat him by a single assist. Yeah. So those were the statistical ones where there's no doubt involved in any of that stuff. Now we start getting into some of the voting awards, mm -hmm. which is where we can have ourselves a friendly debate. Mm -hmm. First off, goalkeeper of the year, Rashid Nuhu out of Union Omaha. Mm -hmm. Despite missing seven matches, he had the second most clean sheets, 22 goals conceded. He had the, the fewest among goalkeepers with 20 or more matches played. Yep. Uh, let's see. Union Omaha had a club record of eight wins, 11 draws, and four losses when he played. So, I mean, and he re ended up receiving 48% of the vote. Yeah. Which this is the first time that he's ever won goalkeeper of the year. Mm-hmm. Because each of the previous years, it was Akira Fitzgerald won it last year, and then Dallas J won it in 2020 and 2019. And ever since Union Omaha has been in the league, Rasheed Nuha has been the runner-up for this award. So 2019, no, I'm sorry, 2020, 2021, and then yep. finally winning it this year. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to debate this one because I think that he wholeheartedly deserves it. Uh -huh. You can look at some of the t statistics and see that there were other goalkeepers that may have had, you know, better stats along the way. I'm, I'm showing my bias. I don't want to debate it. Well, I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot. You can really debate on it. I mean, it, the guy was the only one with a sub one goals against, and you know, he's, he has been so good every year that he's been here. So, I mean, you can throw out stats like the league record, 106 saves for Fitzgerald. And to me that, I mean, yes, you made a lot of saves, but you also let a lot of goals in too. So yes, you saved a lot, but that it's not, it's not any other goalkeeper's fault that your defense is Swiss cheese Yeah, at points, you know? Yeah. So 
and then you can go with Christensen and it's the reverse of that where yes, you had 10 clean sheets, but how much of that was your defense? Yep. But you can also say the same thing for new who. So I get it. But to me, Rashid has been the best keeper for the past few years. So I think it's only right that he gets, uh, that he gets a nod this year. The biggest surprise for me when it came to names that weren't considered candidates. So knew who won the award. The other mm-hmm. two candidates were Akira Fitzgerald out of Richmond and Paul Christensen out of Greenville. And as I look around the league, I kind I, I personally feel like Pena Ronda out of Northern Colorado deserved to, to be mentioned among the candidates. Mm-hmm. I know that we talked about Ant-Man earlier in the season. You know, he was having a good time. And I think he kind of faltered a little bit there toward the end. Mm-hmm. I agree. But Pena Ronda, man, I I think he had a, a good, successful season. I, I, I think he deserved a little more notice than, you know, what he was given. Yeah. I mean, you can throw out other names, too. I like that one. I also like Ryko or Rosarina. Um, yeah. Granted, he faltered in a major way in the last half of his season with Madison. Yeah. Um, he looked really, really good when he got there. And he then, really did. Yeah. For some reason, towards the end of the season, he started looking significantly worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's teams just figured out his tendencies, figured out how to play him and whatnot, but you know, he was, he was one of the guys with some of the least amount of goals conceded 16 appearances and 21 goals. But again, that's 21 goals and 16 appearances. Yeah. That's a lot of goals to let in and to be even be considered for goalkeeper of the year. Yeah. And I think that one is mostly due to the fact that as Madison got, got closer to being eliminated from the season, the the wheels just fell off the the wagon and I I they just they just seem to give up. Yeah, there's there's definitely something culturally that wasn't right there or you know culture inside the club. I mean not culture outside the club obviously, but yeah. Something wasn't quite right in in Madison and that really showed and I think that really hurt his chances at at being a a candidate for keeper of the year because I believe if they would have played like they did towards the beginning or towards the middle of the season it could have been, it could have been a Rosarina up there as well. Yeah. God, man, there's so many goalkeepers in this league that are re- actually really good. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of names that you can throw out there and be like, well, no, probably not that. I think everybody has a decent enough shot yeah. to even be considered for goalkeeper of the year. There's just a couple, a couple standouts that are, you know, just a little bit better than everybody else. And I think Bush out of Tormenta is one of those where he's going to be a good one to watch in the next, you know, couple of years. Cause I think this season he only had 14 appearances, so he wouldn't have been eligible for right. the award, but if he is starting between the posts, you know, on a consistent basis next season, mm-hmm. he could, you know, put himself in the limelight pretty yeah. often. Oh, I agree. Wholeheartedly agree. And I think you were onto something there too when you were talking about Rosarina, because even though things ended up not going the way that Madison fans wanted them to go, mm-hmm. there's no doubt that this guy has potential. Yeah. 
And for clubs that are looking for a goalkeeper, a starting goalkeeper, mm-hmm. you there's no denying that this guy can make a huge contribution for your team if you decide to bring him in. Yeah. And I think he's the only one that you really are looking at that could maybe do what maybe happened last year and get on a loan deal or maybe even signed with one of these League One teams that might be looking for a goalkeeper. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's he would be a solid pickup if he would be willing to come down to to League One instead of being up at championships. So, yeah, but only time will tell. And there's a lot of really good keepers that may be leaving after this year, too. So true. I think yeah. there's a lot of keepers. I mean, knew who Fitzgerald Christensen might all be guys that may be moving on. So your top yep. three guys for goalkeeper of the year might not be here next year. So, yeah, yeah. In that case. So if Nuhu, Fitzgerald, and Christensen all leave, mm-hmm. a Rosarina goes back to USL Championship. Yep. I think that, I mean, we're we're just you know spouting out bullshit here. Yeah. But well, if it's we're the off looking, season. yeah, it's the off season. If you're looking at next season, mm-hmm. right here, right now, I think your best three goalkeepers are going to be TJ Bush, mm-hmm. Ofek Ant Man, and Penuranda. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put them in that order, but no, 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 not in that order. No, just, just out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I could definitely see that. Granted, we, we don't know what kind of talent's going to be coming in and everything like that. But of the guys that we know that are as of right now, still in league one that we don't think are going up. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that, that list. So now we move on to defender of the year and this is where, I, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to stay calm. I gotta I gotta take some deep breaths, count to ten, do my Zen work here. <laughs> because Arthur Rogers from Northern Colorado was chosen as League One's Defender of the Year. Uh huh. He was. It's it's hard. It's hard when the league puts out something for the Defender of the Year and features primarily offensive highlights. I don't understand why we're highlighting offense for defender of the year. Yeah. And I don't know why anything like his, I mean, we'll, we'll just go, we'll go through the stats. I mean, 80 chances created, which is a league record, nine assists, three of a match winning the second most by a defender in league history, 121 duels, one that's a team high. So keep that in mind. That's only a team high. 25 tackles, one team high, and he received 59% of the vote for defender of the year to have that many offensive categories put into his statistics. Why is he being considered for defender of the year? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I could give you a hug right now. (laughs) Thank you. Because so I, when I, when I first saw that he was chosen as defender of the year, my first thought was are you fucking kidding me (laughs) and not only that but he won 59 percent of the vote like you said which is the largest spread for a winner in league one history for this award Mm -hmm. i would have thought last year when damia viadere won that he would have had the biggest spread you know to the runner-up but no we're giving it to arthur rogers so i decided to make a spreadsheet full of data (laughs) to break down everything okay I not only looked at Northern Colorado, I looked at defenders from around the entire league. And of the categories that I 
decided to look into, which mm. amounted to 22 categories. Whoa. He was a top 10 defender in five of those categories. So not even a quarter of the 22 categories that I was looking at, he was a top 10 defender. Yikes. And did not lead the league in a single category. You know who should have been defender of the year? Jordan Skelton out of North Carolina. And he wasn't even mentioned as a candidate. Mm -hmm. When I was looking at all the statistics here, of the, the 22 categories that I was looking at, he led the league, not just his team, the league in eight categories. Yep. That's over a third mm-hmm. of the categories that this guy led. Yeah. I mean, I don't get it. If, if you have an award called Defender of the Year, defense should be the primary statistic you look at. You should not factor in any offensive statistics for the award yeah so to prove how much of a joke this award is i sincerely hope that next year richmond decides to start emiliano terzaghi on defense lists him as a defender and lets him go wild hog wild up on the front lines let him score all the goals let him have an assist here and there so that he can win defender of the year he's already won the golden boot he's already won mvp why not win defender of the year this yeah. is so stupid. We're only looking at defenders as often offensive players on the other end of the field. We're not looking at their defensive efforts. Just that's so stupid. Yeah. And I mean, I last year it was the same. It was the same deal. I mean, V there was, he was not a defender. I mean, he was a defender in, in the sense of he's put in the lineup as a defender, but he wasn't a defender. No, he wasn't. And I wish I could say that he probably, you know, led the team in defensive efforts. But I mean, with, you know, Jake Krull and Alil Osamanu and Ferdy Sosa on the other side. I mean, no, you're with those three guys as your partners on the back line. Yeah. You're not going to lead in defensive statistic there. Yeah. I mean, the, the award is obviously a joke. Yeah. Like much of the awards that League One puts out, to be honest. Yeah. But this one is definitely the biggest the biggest joke of them all. Yeah. Emiliano Terzaghi. I know you don't listen to this podcast and I know from your recent interviews that you also don't understand English. So get a translator, listen to this message, start on defense next year, score a shit ton of goals, win defensive player of the year and just sweep the categories so that you can (laughs) load your trophy case. Just do it. Do it for me. League One's going to give him the award anyway, probably. So, yeah. yeah. Might as well give him Golden Glove Award, too. Fuck give it. Young, give him Young Player of the Year. Whatever. There we go. Yeah. And that's the next category we can talk about, too. Well, let's, uh, let's send it. So, that that award went to Terzaghi's teammate, Ethan Bryant yep. of Richmond. So, to be considered for Young Player of the Year, you have to be under 22 years of age. And Ethan Bryant on this year had three goals, five assists, 30 chance created, and he received 40% of, of the votes. So I don't have an issue with this one. I don't either. This, I mean, it seems fine. Interestingly enough, Charlotte's Omar Sis and Omaha's Ryan Jiba both got 30% of the vote. Yeah. So this was, this was very close. And I wouldn't, if any of those guys would have won, I wouldn't have had any any problems with it yeah 
and they're all 20 years old. So, yeah. I mean, they could all come back next season and, you know, vie for, for the award again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's some other guys that maybe you could mention out of all the rest of them. I think the one that made the biggest in impact was Rincon out of North Carolina. That would have been my pick, really. Every Everybody else to me kind of just seemed like it. I mean, you got guys like Yoscar out of Omaha, Jeremiah Strang, and Stuart Ritchie. That all could have been considered, and maybe maybe we put those on a watch list for next season. But, yeah, I mean, Ethan Bryant's a good pick. I don't have any issues. Yeah, I don't have any issues here either. I think when you look at some of the other players, like Rincon, you look at Omaha's, you know, Yoscar, I, I think Jeremiah Strang could be a highly influential player at Madison if they bring him back because he mm -hmm. had he had a good season with Madison this season. Yeah. And then Stuart Ritchie, I know that they brought him in, I think it was mid-season or something like that. Yeah, it and was, he had yeah. a good season with them. So, I mean, even he could have a, a good season with Richmond next season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Richmond yeah, should so, still have a solid squad next season um, if they bring everybody back. So, yeah, I, I think this award is probably going to be an underrated award to watch for next season. Mm -hmm. And not only because of the fact that we've listed numerous players just here and now looking at this, but then you look at the, the concerted efforts from clubs in the league who have academies and are mm -hmm. actively bringing players up who have shown that they can develop players. Yeah. This one could be a fun one to watch next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly why my my early, early, early candidate for young player of the year is Rincon. Uh, oh, yeah. He came up through their system. Their focus is on their academy system. So I would definitely put him as the early favorite for yeah. the award next year. I agree with Yeah, I agree with that. Especially with the impact that he made in the, what, three or four games he played in this year. Yeah. Instant impact. So. Yeah. That'll be a good one. That one, this might be the award to me that is the least tampered with in trying to find stats that make it look like a good award. Like this is just actually a good award. Yeah, I like this one. The next one is an interesting one because it's not only in the the first year that we've ever even enlisted this award, it's also really difficult to try to track because it requires way more research and you know deep dives than i i was willing to to work with so comeback player of the year mm -hmm. and this one was given to adrian billhart of tormenta so he had a, a big injury last season and yeah. came back and in his 30 matches he had five goals five assists and 49 chances created mm -hmm. i really like the fact that the league created this award yeah because you want to continue to show players that they're valued and that even with a, a setback that they had in the previous season, that they're still valued enough to bring back the next season and to contribute to their team's effort. I liked, I, I, I really like the idea of this award. Yeah, I do as well. And again, this isn't another award that I don't have any issues with Bill Hart winning it. Yeah. Especially after, after the injury that he did have. So. Yeah. And uh, the next one is coach of the year, which went to Darren Swatsky at Richmond, which makes completely perfect sense. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at some of the, the statistics, 
So he won the regular season title. Yep. Which based on history is all you need to do to to win this this award. He had the second most regular season points, the second most wins in league history. This was Richmond's best finish since 2013. They gained 21 points from a losing position, which was the most in the regular season. They had 54 goals, which was a regular season record. Yep. They went unbeaten in nine consecutive matches, which was a club record. Or I'm sorry. And the club record is 10 from 2016. And he received 58% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Just like I mentioned earlier, winning the regular season title is going to get you the award. In 2019, Eric Quill from North Texas did that. John Harks with Greenville in 2020 did it. Jay Mims with Union Omaha in 2021 did it. That seems to be the only determining factor behind winning this award. Yeah. But Sawatsky, you know, when you look at those stats, yeah, he, I, I don't have too much of a gripe with this one. Not really. They should wait until after the season's over for this award, I believe. But yeah, though, I will say when you look at the other candidates, so the other candidates were Tormenta's Ian Cameron. Mm -hmm. He had a league record turnaround from 11th place in 2021 to third place in 2022. And then the last candidate was Chattanooga's Jimmy Weekly. I, I feel like Ian Cameron was included in there because of the, the turnaround. Obviously, you know, the mm-hmm. team had a great season this year. There's just a part of me that, you know, despite the the off-field distractions, all that kind of stuff. Right. Jimmy Weekly really impressed me. Mm-hmm. And from week 17 on to the, re- the end of the regular season, he won eight games, had five draws, only lost three regular season matches. Yeah. He had the most points earned from week 17 to the end of the season. And if you split, if you did the math to determine the points per match, he had the second most behind Richmond. So again, further evidence for Sawatsky. Yeah. But uh, only one club outscored Chattanooga, and that was Charlotte by one goal. Mm -hmm. So for a team that was in week 16, Chattanooga was in sixth place. So to go from week 17 to the end of the of the season for them to make the playoffs and to make the finals, mm-hmm. sorry, make the final, it's just it's just incredibly impressive for him to take over the program midseason despite all of the distractions and to still, you know, lead the team the way that he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he uh if he sticks around and ends up being the the head coach of chattanooga next year then he he would be on a short list for coach of the year if he continues in the trend i just think it's hard to to give him you know coach of the year when he only coached that small window of time exactly the turnaround was nice and dealing with the distractions in the locker room and all that obviously he he had to coach his ass off and he did but it's just a little too late in the season to be able to to pull off, especially, I mean, Swatsky completely deserves the award too. So yeah, it, it would have been hard to unseat him anyway. It doesn't matter yeah. who you were, especially when you look at, at kind of the turnaround that Richmond had and how dominant they were the entire regular season. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I know he came in mid season and all that stuff. I get it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Then we get to the most valuable player. And this is another one where 
I'm all hot and bothered over because once again, your most valuable player in League One for 2022 season was Emiliano Terzaghi out of Richmond. Blah, blah, blah. This award is like the Heisman Trophy in college football. It literally means fuck all. Yeah. It is who scored the most goals. Yeah. It's not the MVP. The MVP should be the person that if you pull that person off of the team, is the team going to suck? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And if you pull Terzaghi off of Richmond, are they going to suck? No. No. Are they going to dominate the league like they did? No. No. But they're not going to fall out of a playoff position without him. Yeah. I think even without Terzaghi's goals, without him on the field, I think Richmond would still make the playoffs. They wouldn't be the number yeah. one seed, but they would still make the playoffs. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't even think that they might not even be the first seed. I mean, with how crazy close the league was this year, yeah. I mean, anybody could have been the number one seed. Especially with Greenville stumbling into second place. Yeah. And then Omaha getting her uh, literally falling over themselves for the entire half of the second half of the season. Yeah. Nobody wanted first place. Yeah. But to give Terzaghi respect, he did score 17 goals. He had three braces. He had three match-winning goals. He received 50% of the vote. It's his third consecutive time winning the League One MVP. And in doing so, he's the first player in American outdoor professional soccer history to be named MVP in three consecutive seasons. Gee, I wonder why they gave him the award. Yeah. And he's also the first player in league history to score 10 plus goals in three plus seasons. And he had his 17 goals, as we already mentioned earlier in the podcast, is second highest, is the <laughs> second highest goal tally, only behind his own record, which was set last year when he scored 18 goals. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do a little bit a little bit of research into his goals. Yeah. So he scored 17 goals. He had three unassisted goals. And he had two penalties. And by the end of the season, he had amassed three assists from Jonathan Bolaños. But until week 22, Terzaghi had assisted Bolaños on more goals than Bolaños had assisted Terzaghi. Because in week 14, Terzaghi assisted Bolaños on a goal in their 4-1 win over North Carolina. And it wasn't until week 22 that Bolaños assisted Terzaghi for the first time this season. And in that game, they had Bolaños had two assists for Terzaghi in that 3-0 win over Union Omaha, mm-hmm. which was also the first time that Terzaghi had ever scored against Union Omaha, which completed his circuit through the entire League One system where he was able to score a goal against every single team in League One history. Yeah, Going back to, you know, North Texas to Fort Lauderdale to all those MLS teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so, impressive. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I, I don't know. There's, there's other people that I definitely would have put ahead of him as most valuable player. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to beat the Irvin Para drum until yes. it is completely destroyed. Because if you take Irvin Para off the team, does Northern Colorado even finish off of the bottom of the table? I don't think so. I don't think yeah. all around they were a good enough team to 
survive not having him on the team. And yeah. to me, that is your MVP. So do you think the reason that he was left off is because of the fact that Northern Colorado did not make the playoffs? Yeah, I uh, probably. That's probably a big part of it. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's just like I said, if you were basing this goal off of the namesake, it would be somebody like Urban Para. Yeah. But I don't know. There's there's other guys, too. I mean, you look at Kaziah Sterling. He's, he's a good one there, too. If you take him off of Tormenta, they're – they're losing quite a bit of offensive production and they're losing a guy that can draw defenders to him that opens up. Obviously we saw it in the final opens up other players to score. So it it can't just all be scoring goals and that's your MVP. Yeah, I agree. I think another candidate that doesn't get discussed enough in this category is Christian Cheney from Central Valley. Mm-hmm. If you take him off Fuego's roster, yeah, they're dead in the pick. water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think if you, my three, I would say Irvin Para, obviously. Mm-hmm. I would say Christian Cheney, and I would I would say Garrett McLaughlin. I That's mean, granted, good one. Granted, North Carolina did finish dead last, but if they didn't have Garrett McLaughlin. They, they'd have been, I mean, behind last place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. But it's kind of easy to be top dog on a team of fresh out of middle school kids. So, yeah. And it's so funny that you talked about Irvin Para, you know, being up for MVP f- for the entire league because mm-hmm. he didn't even win MVP for his own team. Yeah, I don't get that. They gave it once again to Arthur Rogers. Mm-hmm. If you're Irvin Parra sitting at the table during the team banquet and that happens, like, what the fuck, man? What did I just do for this entire <laughs> club for this entire season? Yeah, it's what the hell do I have to do to try to show you guys? Like, do I just have to leave? And then you're like, well, sucks to be you guys. I mean, yeah, that just seems kind of that seems like a big slap in the face to him. But again, the league screwy. This this is another award that to me means absolutely nothing. Yeah. So that's leak one for you. Yeah. All right. So that's all of the statistical awards. That's all of the voting awards. So now we can turn our attention to previous questions that you guys have thrown our way. Now, in recent weeks, you guys have thrown questions our way and we weren't able to answer them. Mm-hmm. As effectively as we, as we probably wanted to. And so we wanted to kind of look back at a couple of those questions to to really address them, you know, head on and, and grab the bull by the horns. Yep. There you go. So Paul Acosta, man, Paul, you submit so many questions and I just got to we we really appreciate you. Listen, man, yep. I am so sorry that, you know, the final didn't go the way you wanted it to. So his question from a a few weeks ago was make your own all league 11 first and second team. Mm. So I put a ton of thought into this one. And I have not done my list yet. (laughs) I devoted most of my attention to the defenders because once we got to the midfielders and the strikers, I feel like they just blended together so much that it was just so difficult to try to pick out 
you know, players for a first and second team, but I really wanted to focus on the defenders. So that that's where my focus was. Plus okay. it, it went right into my rant about Arthur Rogers winning defensive player of the year. Well, that's another <laughs> thing. So for my first team, my goalkeeper is going to be Rashid Nuhu. Yes. I'm showing my bias there. I don't care. Blame and shame me. I don't care. Guy is just amazing. And I am very confident that he's not going to be playing in league one next year. And so I want to make sure that he's going out on, on a high note. Yeah. So he deserves the recognition. I agree with that. As far as my defenders, I am going with Jordan Skelton out of North Carolina, as I've already discussed earlier. I am leaning toward Josh Phelps (laughs) out of Tormenta. And I am also going to get, this is, you know, this is a sleeper pick here with this one. I'm going to give the nod to Luca Mashantonio from Tucson, FC Tucson. Yeah. Interesting pick. Interesting pick. Yeah. I think that he has some good stats out there in FC Tucson. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough place to have good stats. Exactly. Yeah. And the last defender I put in Timmy Mel uh, from Chattanooga. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of, debate on Timmy. I mean, he had a good season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as far as my midfielders for my first team, I have Jonathan Bolaños. I don't think there's a whole lot of argument there out of Richmond. Nope. Mo Espinosa out of Chattanooga. It's my boy. Yeah. I like him. And then I put Miguel Ibarra from Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And I had JP Skears from Union Omaha. Okay. I think JP is another one of those players who has played out his time in league one. I think he's going to move on, you know, up the, the rung in the ladder and he's going mm-hmm. to go on to bigger and better things. Yeah. So I wanted to give him proper recognition. Sure. As far as my strikers for my first team, this is where it got really difficult, but I decided to go with Juan Galindrez out of Chattanooga and Kaziah Sterling out of Tormenta. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting picks. Yeah. For my second team, my goalkeeper sleeper pick here. I'm going with Penuranda out of Northern Colorado. All right. All right. And for my defense, my back four is going to be Jake Dingler out of Tormenta. Okay. I very easily could have paired him up with Josh Phelps on the first team, but I decided to put him on the second team. Mm-hmm. I put Dalton Knutson uh, from Union Omaha on the back line. Okay. And as well as Aaron Lombardi from Chattanooga, which is a bit of a sleeper pick. I like it though. That's not, that's uh it's a sleeper pick, but when you watch him play, it it's well-deserved. Yeah. I mean, there are other players in the league. Breck Evans out of Northern Colorado. You know, mm-hmm. I he can he rated higher on many categories than Arthur Rogers in defensive categories. So I, yeah. I think he deserves some recognition. Sure. Uh, another sleeper pick that I don't think got as much attention as he deserved was Nate Schultz out of Greenville. Oh, I think sure. Yeah. People love to go straight for Brandon Fricky, which I, you know, the guy deserves respect. I mean, he's mm-hmm. been in the league for a while. He's, you know, established himself. Same as Tyler Pollock. I mean, those are two guys on Greenville's back line that more than deserve recognition. Mm-hmm. But this season, uh, Nate Schultz had a, a, some good defensive stats. Yeah. So then for my second team midfield, I decided to go with Jose Carrera out of Chattanooga. Gabriel Oberton from Charlotte, which is a bit of a, an odd one to throw in there. Not many people probably considered him in that race. Yeah, no. 
And then I went with Louis Perez out of FC Tucson. Yeah. That guy's I fun like to it. watch. Yeah, he is. And uh, Connor Doyle out of Union Omaha. Okay. I think so. Even though Connor didn't have the the highlight worthy, you know, stats to to put him in the conversation, I just watching him play mm-hmm. the way that he sees the field. I he oh, he's just something special. Yeah. And then for my strikers on my second team, I went with Christian Cheney out of Central Valley and Trezor and Buyu from Charlotte. Wow. Yeah. No, uh, no Irvin Para. No Irvin Para. No Irvin Para. No, no Meza. No Emiliano Terzaghi. Oh wow! Yeah. Hmm. I can't say I hate the picks. <laughs> They're Just ballsy. Interesting. They are very ballsy. Very interesting. I would <laughs> love to see the Twitter fire coming from opposing fan bases on that. Yeah. And for midfielders, I didn't even mean, mention Olex Anderson. I didn't mention Cassini out of. Ford Madison. It's another good one. Or even Nil Vignoles from um, Richmond. I mean, mm-hmm. oh man, when you start getting into the midfielders and the strikers, like I said, since they blend in with their roles within the formations that their clubs play, it's yeah. tough to pick, you know, in those positions. Mm-hmm. It is. And I, I think you could have went with any of those guys mentioned in any of those positions and, and it would have been just as well. Yeah. I like them. Do you have any huge debates um, on any of those? I think as far as second team goalkeeper for me, I would throw Ryko Rosarena. Yeah. Um, just, I, I like the way that he can play out of the back and in kind of the system that he was in that made a huge difference. Um, you really saw, saw Madison kind of turn that around when they were able to play out of the back. They looked like a more concise team. And then obviously they kind of fell apart, but yeah. Other than that, man, I, I definitely would have thrown in Irvin Para as one of the strikers. Yeah. And then for the first team, I, I probably would have dropped Galindrez down to second team and thrown in Terzaghi as yeah. a striker on the first team. Sterling and Sterling and Tergazi would be Terzaghi, excuse me, would be a fun pair to watch. And I really think, so I had an idea that came up. I don't know why we don't do this or what how we could make it work. Maybe you make the contracts one game longer and you take <laughs> the first team all-stars and they play like a friendly match for, let's say, a plate against the champions of the league. So it's like a separate cup match between the all-stars and the league winners yeah, would be interesting to see. And obviously you put it in neutral location and maybe you make something out of it. That's like a, a fan fest where fans of everybody comes down, hangs out and watches the best players all play at the same time. So to kind of pour some, you know, uh, gasoline on that fire, why not do, First team league one versus first team championship. I like that too. For the first half, second half, do second teams go against each other on the same night. You could do a, Oh, young player, whatever highlight. And you mm-hmm. could have the league two players, you yeah, know, have some sort of a, you know, just highlight the entire USL organization as a whole. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like that. 
now just throw a uh, a charity game for all the podcasters of League One, and, exactly. and there you go. Yeah, <laughs> man, we could hang out with guys. You know, all the people from USL show from Walking Ninety. Oh man, oh that would yeah. be so much fun. Yeah, talking flock. Um, Who gives a hoot? Uh, the guys out in Central Valley. Yeah. Um, geez, man, there's there's so many. There's yeah. so many now that. So if we if we didn't name yet, it's not because we don't uh we don't like it. It's just there's so there's so many of them, and I can't. I don't feel like going through. I think my phone's <laughs> dead now, but I would go through my phone and pull up all of the podcasts for League One. But we love just it. know that we love you. Yeah, every single one, every single show that's out there. Yeah, yeah. We love you. Support we support you, and we want to work with you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit us up if you guys want yeah. to hang out. Um, so we got a. So this one goes in line with I think we talked about this last time um, with some of the messages messages that you send us, whether it be into our our podcast Twitter account, mm-hmm. our email account, or to Brian and my you know personal accounts. I received an email from uh, Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Ranting Blue Penguin. He sent me an email with a bunch of information related to possible playoff scenarios, how teams performed when they were at home, how they performed in those different scenarios when they were playing against the, you know, suggested club in that scenario. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that he put a lot of time into gathering that information. And it was really, really fun to read. I I would love to be able to sit here and talk about it, but given that the the playoffs are over you know there uh, it would be a little weird to well if if this had happened then we could do this right but as i was reading it i was really entertained because it was almost as if i was reading a choose your own adventure novel but it was like a soccer themed one so tim thank you so much for sending that email please do not hesitate to send out any other you know things you want to send my way i'll be more than happy to read it because that was a lot of fun to read Nice. And Brian, you sent one on Twitter, a question out to all of our fans. Mm -hmm. And your question to everyone was, what do you consider a truly successful season for your club? Yeah. And I love that question. We got a lot of responses from it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did. We got quite a few. We'll just kind of go through them and, and talk about them here. Geo, we all know Geo. So his, his successful season for his club was a final appearance that did not go according to plan. So did not, it was not a successful season. You heard it here first out of Gio's mouth, not a successful season, but even for Greenville, I would still consider it. I mean, uh, they did stumble into the playoffs, yeah, but, but they finished second place. Yeah. Second place. You can't, they hosted the next round. I mean, yeah. I would still consider it a, 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 a successful season, despite mm-hmm. the fact that there was a bit of a letdown there at the end. I, th- I still think it was a successful season. Yeah, I agree. So next we have Tim and at ranting blue penguin playoffs. And obviously this would be a uh, union Omaha playoffs with competitive, if even frustrating matches and no real off pitch issues to deal with. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's uh that's Omaha season. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a nutshell right there so and then one here from connor at connor underscore Houston win a playoff game omaha did not do that yeah so they were damn close though again not a successful season you heard it out of <laughs> <Connor's mouth. laughs> 
Then next up, we have Zach uh, at Z the Owlmouth. Uh, and he said, for Omaha, we had a heavy rebuild year and a deep cup run that could, some could argue affected the regular season. With our open cup run, semifinals is where I'd like to be, but I know at the beginning of the season with the rebuild, I was happy with just qualifying for the playoffs. And that was followed by one of the owners for Union Omaha, Gary Green, at Union Chasers CEO. Well said. So, yeah, I mean, that's that hit the nail on the head again. I mean, it yeah. made the playoffs and had a big open cup run. That's that's hard to argue with. Fell short for the semis, but once again, they were so damn close. Yeah. And, you know, it's not bad. When you go out to a team that makes the finals, it, it stings a little less. Yeah. So that makes sense. And then Chip at Chip DeRippa on Twitter said, with the open cup run for Omaha, posting or making the semis would be a great season, especially with a heavy turnover and with late season injuries. So he had a breakdown of if it was for it to be an A plus season, win the title. An A season, make the semis. A minus host a playoff game slash lose and a B plus don't host slash lose. So in his eyes, B plus season. So it's not too bad. And then Ed at Burbs are real and owls and Jayhawks at Koyo Fox seconded exactly what chip had said. So yeah, that's another one. So we move on. Chris, is the green buho on Twitter at Al President Oma OMA for Omaha? Obviously, winning another star realistically between the cup run and a solid performance in the playoffs, a slash above fourth place finish. I'd call that season a success. So, fell a little bit short. I guess you could say a solid performance in the playoffs. Yes, they lost, but it took extra time and they fell to a team, like we said before, that yeah. made the finals. So, yeah, it seems to be a, a running thing for Omaha is making the fi- making the playoffs and playing well. So mm-hmm. uh, next we have Kaler, which is at Kaler Hodges, uh, and his team is the Birmingham Legion in USLC. And he says there are levels. Playoffs is a minimum. You can call that a success, but it's not a truly successful season. This year, success is a home playoff match. After that, it's all about being truly competitive for the Cup. And so I did not get a chance to look up what Birmingham did in the in the playoffs. They hosted. The they first, hosted. The, so, yeah, they hosted the conference quarterfinals. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a home playoff match. And yeah. so it looks like you could call that season a success as well. So. Yeah, they hosted the Pittsburgh Riverhounds and ended up going to PKs where they oh. lost by a single PK. Yeah, I would say that's competitive. Yeah. So there you go. And happy birthday, Kaler. I know that you just had your birthday recently. And if you haven't followed Kaler, check out his account. Uh, he just he was gifted a really like awesome camera, and he's been doing some really cool stuff with the Legion down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so follow him. He's on the USL show. He's doing some stuff for the Legion all around good guy, you know, so follow him as well. Nice. And then next we have TJ who is at Thomas Runyon nine. 
If we win tonight and qualify for a home playoff match two years in a row, then I'm expecting at least semis every year and making good runs in the Open Cup. And that tweet was sent on October 12th. Birmingham Legion defeated Indy 11 in Alabama 3-1. to The Legion made it to the conference quarterfinals where they went to PKs against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds and lost by one PK, as we discussed earlier. So, So for TJ... They won that last, you know, uh, home match. Mm-hmm. They qualified for the home playoff match uh, yep. two years in a row. So now he's expecting them to make the semis every year. Oh boy, man, that's a big jump. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have some fun, lofty expectations for your team. I love it, TJ. Hey, <laughs> you know what? If you uh, shoot for the moon and miss, you're still among the stars. So next we have. Morgan at Morgan O'Rear on Twitter regarding Union Omaha. And Morgan says the cup run moved the season to a B plus current form has me given giving the season a C minus. And he says, no excuse for the collapse we witnessed. I would say if we make the semis, it's a solid B for the season. If we make the final, it's an A. If we lose in the first round, I give the season a D. I, I feel like that is very hypercritical. I, I don't feel like you can call the, the season as a whole, put it on uh, on almost failing grade with the Open Cup run, the amount of injuries that Union has. I guess I probably, yeah, I did say that. But, I mean, there's so much other stuff that goes on in a season that to call making the playoffs, granted half the half the teams make the playoffs, that should be your minimum. But yeah, I feel like a D is really harsh. But again, Omaha has kind of built that expectation to be one of the the best teams in the league. So I understand it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. Yeah, I would, you know, we should definitely bring Morgan on the show sometime because he's a former sports writer. He's been around soccer for a long time. So I would love to to have him on and and just to, to pick his brain, both about his experiences as a sports writer, but also about his opinions you know related to the club and soccer in general and stuff like that i think he could have some interesting takes yeah and i mean i i like i said i get it i understand that we want the team to be as competitive and as good as possible to me a a d is a little harsh and i i definitely wouldn't especially after the cup run i think anything less than a b or maybe even a b minus i might be able to be talked into for omaha would be would be a little harsh so but that's all right so next up we have comfortably dumb which is at key yankee 23 again regarding union omaha you can't tell uh who we talk to quite a bit (laughs) (laughs) at all but for union omaha they say competitive in games punch above your level if given the opportunity omaha should be a playoff team most years which i think just based on history, most people would agree with, especially when half the teams make it. And given the roster turnover at this level, every year is an unrealistic ask. The cup run and making the playoffs alone make this a successful season, which I completely agree with. I agree, yeah. And then Ethan, <laughs> which... Uh, this is if, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, if you guys... uh if you guys don't follow Ethan on Twitter, he's 
he can be a bit of a troll at times and i'll admit <laughs> he gets under my skin a lot but it it's it's all in good fun he does have quite a few good ones um yeah. and ethan's team it's at e and how many t's is that six t's six t's h-a-n and he's talking about north carolina his successful season would be not finishing last <laughs> So, yeah, that uh, you thought Taylor had lofty expectations for Birmingham Legion, man. Talk to Ethan. Yeah, I mean, oh boy, yeah, that's a that's a low bar. That's a low bar to cross, I guess. Yeah. But, um, I wonder if Ebony feels the same way. <laughs> we we should ask we should find out i have a feeling not but yeah i don't know when when your team's north carolina it, you just gotta go with it and see yeah. what happens so so i wonder with the teams that are going to be entering the league here in the next couple years especially the ones that we know mm-hmm. as the the league grows especially to the point that we know it's they're hoping it's going to grow to with the, what did they say? Like 32 teams or something like that. I, I believe it was 32 to 36 teams, something yeah, in there. Something yeah. like that. With that many teams in league one, if the, I mean, there's obvious concerns about the, the talent level being diluted to accommodate all the players that are going to, that are going to be in league one. I wonder if the teams that have established themselves within the league, are going to be able to, I don't know if there's going to be a clear echelon of those established teams versus the teams that are more focused on, on development, you know, like in Northern North Carolina mm-hmm. versus yeah. teams that are still trying to, to find their identity, like in Northern Colorado or a central Valley Fuego. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there's going to be clear echelons of those teams, you know, as you're watching league one grow and develop in that way. Yeah, there's, there's that part of it. And there's also the interesting thought of, you know, these, these teams that have set up such established academies, are those teams going to fare better when the talent pool does get diluted because they have these guys that are already being taught how to play USL one soccer from whenever they start their academy side. So that'll be interesting to find out too. That's, that's obviously a long-term a long-term thing that's going to end up happening, but that'll be super interesting to see. Yeah. If you look at clubs who have been successful on a year to year basis, it's because they have a group of guys around who are still within the club. They, they still have that chemistry. Um, I mean, especially when you look at Greenville, I mean, they're, they're sort Mm -hmm. of the blueprint for that one. They bring in, you know, these guys are not the youngest in the league, but, they have the the chemistry and the ability to carry themselves out throughout the entire season. And I wonder if teams are going to adopt that model or if they're going to adopt the Tormento where they develop their players and they build from within, or if they're going to adopt, you know, a union Omaha model where they bring in players who have had really good histories, previous careers, but are sort of in a lull and looking to, you know, when, when the club, you know, buys low and sells high, you know, they bring players in, you know, get some good performances out of them and sell them high. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lot of things that are going to change when, 
when the league gets gets bigger like they wanted to. So yeah. we'll just have to play it by ear like how we do everything else in this league. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this league is a fly by your pants style league. So yeah. take it as it comes. Yep. I do want to give a special shout out. You know, there have been a lot of birthdays. If you had a birthday, you know, since our last recording, happy birthday. I know that we've been pretty good about sending out birthday wishes, but mm-hmm. it's been, you know, quite a while since, oh, well, not quite a while, but it's been a bit since we had our last recording. So if you had a birthday, happy birthday. Mm-hmm. But happy I do want to send a special shout out to our friend Gio, who was hired to work as an account executive at Greenville. Mm-hmm. This is a very exciting opportunity for him. He loves that club with every fiber of his being. You would think that he would, you know, spare a few fibers for his kids or for his wife or his family, but no, every fiber in his being goes to Greenville Triumph. Uh, And to see him get hired on at that club, you you just wish him nothing but the success. And Mm -hmm. he, he has potential for great things ahead. You know, he's one of those guys where you, you'd, you just you just love the guy and yep. everybody everybody's rooting for him everybody supports him um we're all hoping for the best for the guy yeah yeah definitely he's um obviously he's been on the show and we've talked to him we've always had a great time talking to him and this is a, a huge opportunity for him and it's that's awesome i mean that's that's the dream right there to support a club and eventually be hired by by the club so yeah um, shout out to him working hard and, and getting to live the dream. So, yep. And, uh, it, it seems kind of weird because I feel like now if we want to have him on the show, we have to like reach out to the club <laughs> and request for his presence. Yeah. I, we might have to do that. Man. Still got to meet him though. So hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully this upcoming season we'll get to, we'll get to meet in person and, and see the glorious flowing hair. Oh man, I want to meet him and I can't wait to finally meet Brandon face to face. He and I have chatted, you know, several times and that's another guy that you just can't help but but love. I mean, that guy's a good guy too. So I, I mean, want to get down to Greenville yeah. and meet all those people. That's the thing about this league too, man, is everybody that that we meet on Twitter that everybody's I mean, we we all talk shit and everything, but I mean, we're all, it's like one big, great community. So yeah, definitely need to get out to some of these, these away matches. I think that's, I'm going to make that a, a goal for next season to try to get some of these away matches and meet some of these awesome people that we get to interact with on a almost daily basis. Yeah. Yogi, Ebony, Kyle, Rob, um, Tyler. I mean, Brandon and Gio. I mean, there's just so many people. Yeah, we we just yeah, we yeah, just exactly. love the fact that everyone in League One is so supportive and we're all working together to grow and promote the game and the league. It's 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 an awesome environment. Yeah, it it's great. No other league like it. Yep. All right. Well, I got nothing else. You got anything? I don't. No, I think I'm good. Stay safe, everybody. The holidays yeah. are coming up, you know. So hopefully everybody gets to enjoy a little bit of that time. But yeah, I'm going to try not to freeze this weekend at the Husker game. It's going to be freezing cold. So yep. especially if you're going out, I know some places are getting hit with some winter weather right now. So yeah, stay safe in that. It's that time of year again. So sure is. 
All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of League One on the Rocks. And we will be back with you next week for another great episode filled with more content to keep you loving the League One in the offseason. So we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, guys.